Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is Wednesday, December 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve, Festivus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. We're going to be talking, I mean, it's it's game week. It feels like it's finally rivalry week. I know we always have to avoid the conversation or at least having the conversation directly until Louisville's played its most recent game before Kentucky, but that's done. We've got the holiday coming up. But all eyes, if you're a Louisville fan, all eyes, all ears, all hearts are on the Battle of the Bluegrass game going down on December 26th. So we're going to talk a little bit about Pitt to start, but we're going to focus mostly on Kentucky because I know a lot of you guys are going to be listening. Because we're recording this a little bit late on Wednesday afternoon, some of you guys are probably listening to this on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or maybe even the morning of the big game on the 26th. So we're going to talk a lot about UK today, and then you guys also sent in like a billion questions on Twitter, so we'll get into that as well. But before we do any of that... Got to say hi to Danny Sennard, Dumpster Dan, if you will, up in Columbus, Ohio. Dan, the three kids, I heard them when we first jumped on Skype here. It sounds like the Sennard family is geared up for a, a big Christmas here. Tis the season for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, my God, do these these kids are just amped up. Like, And it's cool. I mean, I, I you know, the, I think every adult kind of has nostalgia, kind of wishing they can go back as a kid to experience Christmas. So it's kind of cool to see it through their eyes. But uh, old Dan is running out of bribes. I'll say that. Uh, it, like, you can only bribe, you know, with with Santa's coming and all that so many times. And I'm uh, I'm reaching a breaking point here. So I, I'm I'm not only ready for uh, the big game, but I, I'm I'm ready for the big guy to get here as well. Yeah, I mean, you've got the, you're doing kind of the, <clears throat> with the three kids of different ages, you've got two that really get Santa, and then you've got the uh, the newborn Mallory, so you're kind of, you know, covering all your bases there. Like, we've only got Virginia, she's one, she's just kind of figuring out Santa, but she doesn't really, I mean, she's not going to get it for a couple more years, and yet we're still staying up until like fucking one thirty to put together this 1,000-piece kitchen set <laughs> that I'm sure she's just going to ignore the morning of the 25th. It's... So, true story, I think it was three days ago, I'm reading uh, Action Cookbook, who used to write for uh, Every Day Should Be Saturday on SB Nation, which was once a very good website, but now has a a newsletter. He's actually from Louisville, Scott Hines. It's it's really good. He covers just a a broad variety of topics, but he was writing about about Christmas and the holidays and having kids getting older, and he had a passage in there where he's like, for 90% of you reading this, the next sentence isn't going to mean anything to you, but for 10% of you, it's going to trigger extreme PTSD, and I'm so sorry. And then he just said, Kidcraft Kitchen, and goes into detail about how, how long this took him and how awful and how arduous the process was. And right after I finished reading, I yell up to Mary, who's upstairs working. I'm like, hey, what's the brand of the kitchen that we got for Virginia that we got to put together? And she's like, the Kidcraft Kitchen. And since then, <laughs> since, since I tweeted about it, I have received, I mean, maybe one. One billion text slash uh, tweet slash you know emails from people who have gone through the same experience. We've we've worked on this for a full night. We got to step fourteen out of step thirty two, and it wasn't that bad. Only because we went in with the the thought of like this is going to be the worst thing ever. If I'd opened up that bad boy on Christmas Eve and been like, yeah, we're gonna turn on midnight mass. I'm gonna knock this thing out in an hour. We'll get to bed and seen what I saw when I actually opened up the box. I would have curled up into a ball and cried for about 15 hours. Like, this thing is an absolute bitch, and I don't know. Uh, I'm already kind of feeling like I'm running on fumes. I'm also doing the thing that I don't know why I do at Christmas, and and I know a lot of – like, Mary does the same thing too, where 
we just get out of every good habit that we've had for the past however many months. Like I'm eating the, these little pretzels slash melted hugs slash M&M things that Mary makes. Like they're, they're small, like bite-sized. I'm like, yeah, I'll have three of those with coffee and that'll be my breakfast. And, I, and then I feel like shit at 2 p.m. And I wonder why. It's just, I don't know. It's Yeah, I, I, and you know what? It, it's funny you say that. I mean, like veteran move on your part to be putting together the gift a, a couple days before um but I, I can't stress enough for you with with virginia being the age like my god just enjoy it you're gonna wake up it'll be a nice kind of peaceful christmas where you can drink your coffee and and watch your kids play with the toys like at our house it really is like when you see like those snl skits of like them you know kids getting the parents out of bed on christmas and like you know the parents looking like they just want to absolutely like blow their brains out and the kids are just throwing wrapping paper all over there i mean like my my kids will open these presents in less than a minute and a half like even <laughs> if we we're like slow down slow down like let, let me get the camera on like it they will be done in a minute and a half and like it's it's funny but um i you know just enjoy the uh the comfort of christmas while you can yeah, we'll suck up the the one Christmas here with the the single one year old uh, as much as we can. Let's let's move on. We're going to talk about not in really any sort of significant detail, but we do have to at least mention and get into the conversation about Louisville's 64-54 win over Pitt on Tuesday night. Um, first ACC game of the year, first road win for Louisville, and I, I don't want to be too hard on this Louisville team going into <laughs> Kentucky. That's a great way to preface this. I, I, I don't want to be too down, but I was really, really after the 37 beat down point beat down against Wisconsin, which I think we all just wanted to throw away and say, look, they're coming off of, of COVID. They hadn't played in, in three and a half weeks, two and a half weeks. They didn't have Carly Jones. Wisconsin was great. Any excuse you want to, you want to have. I was really hoping for a solid all around performance. And on paper, when you look at it and say, you know, they beat a five and one pit team by 10 at the Peterson event center, that's nothing to scoff at. But the big thing for me, and I know you and I got into it last night when we were texting, Pitt's basically been a three-man team all year all year long, and it's worked for them because those three guys are really, really good. They didn't have two of them last night. Right before the game tipped off, we found out that Justin Champagne and uh, Adis Tony were both going to be out, and Champagne actually leads the entire ACC in rebounding. He's, he's Pitt's leading scorer and, re, and leading rebounder. And Tony is the second leading scorer and second leading rebounder. So those are, I mean, the th- those two along with Xavier Johnson account for about 60% of Pitt's scoring. And when you take the two leading scorers out of the equation, it becomes a much, much different game. And so we didn't really know how much we were going to get out of last night's game. I think the fact that it was still in doubt with four minutes to go heading into the last segment is not a great thing. It was not a, from my vantage point, and maybe some people disagree, maybe you disagree, it was not a confidence-inspiring game for me going into Kentucky last night. Yeah, it's so weird being, it's already Christmas, and I'm like, are we any good or are we bad? Like, I still don't, it seems like every game we've played either like like the three big ones that come to mind. I know we we played well against Western, but Seton Hall, Wisconsin, and then Pitt. You know, Seton Hall, they're coming off no practices. Um right. their point guard gets hurt. You know, Wisconsin, we're down uh Carlick Jones coming off COVID, and then you have last night Pitt missing two guys. So I, I, I still feel like the jury is out on this team, but I, I do agree with you. It, it was not the most inspiring performance. 
Um, I am glad that they won and then took control in the last four minutes when they needed to. Um, I would say that's a pretty good sign. Um, I, I, I do think things run a lot smoother with Carlick Jones back. We can get into that. But, gosh, if you bring that game, and I know Kentucky's 1-5, but if you bring that game to Saturday – I mean, you're <laughs> we're 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 putting it up for grabs there because, like I said, I I just wasn't I didn't come away utterly like you know chest bumping or you know pumping my chest out after that win. Yeah, Chris Mack said after the game, you know, it's a good point. It's a fair point. They had prepared all week long as if Champagne and Tony were going to play, and so when that's the game plan, you kind of throw it out. It does get you. A little bit flat-footed. You are caught off guard. But at the same time, again, Pitt had had nobody outside of those three guys do anything for them this year, do anything significant. And to take two of them out of the equation, you would think you'd be – you would have thought that the, the rest of the game would have gone the same way that the first five or six minutes did. It looked like Louisville was just going to blow the doors off them. You were already saying, we can't take anything away from this game. Like you, <laughs> I did. You were doing – it looked really bad. I was like, oh, man, we're going to – like, at the beginning of this game, I thought we were going to absolutely run them out of the building, which which made, you know, the, the second half and the final score to me a, a little discouraging. Yeah, you were already doing, like, the I don't want to get too excited about our chances against Kentucky. Let's. It was like we're, like, six minutes into the game. I was like, okay, Dan, let's uh pump the brakes a little bit here. But the, the fact that Louisville – I mean, turned the ball over 17 times, went through long stretches where it seemed like they were getting outworked by Pitt, they weren't shooting the ball well. They were making careless live ball mistakes. Like it was all just, it, it was discouraging. And I go back to like like my nervousness for this Kentucky game. Yeah, it's a little bit based in the fact that since John Calipari got there, we've had so many games built up where it looks like either we're decided favorites or slight favorites, or it's kind of a toss up game and we wind up losing. Like that's uh, I think in every Louisville fan's mind right now. But the bigger thing for me is because I can put that aside and say. If we're five and one and look vastly superior than Kentucky, like we're going to win the game, we should win the game. It's going to be like uh, the 2012-13 uh, season. My problem is we've played six games. How many have we played where we've looked good? One. Like, like at, at this point now, and I'm with you. There are excuses for across the board, guys being hurt, COVID break, and all that stuff. But like you said, Seton Hall had practiced twice before we played them pretty much, and we won by one and may have gotten lucky with the, down the stretch. I think J.J. Trainer not getting called for a walk was a pretty big saver thing. We beat a bad Prairie View team, a bad Evansville team, didn't look particularly dominant in either of those games. We didn't look great against Wisconsin, obviously. I don't think we looked great last night. And then there's the Western Kentucky game. Are we really hanging all of our hopes on this team through the first month of the season on blasting a Rick Stansberry coach team, that's not the that's not the strongest limb to walk out on. And I just my biggest concern right now, and I know he played really well down the stretch last night. Uh, both of them played really well down the stretch last night. But my biggest concern right now is I'm not sure that David Johnson and Samuel Williamson have made enough of a leap from last year to this year for us to be like top tier ACC good, top 25 good and comfortably into the NCAA tournament. That's um, And David played really well against for a half against Western. He played really well for stretches last night. But by and large, he hasn't looked all that much better than he did a year ago, and teams know how to defend him now, and that's uh, a little bit troubling. This is going to be, I think, a big-time test for him on Saturday because he, I think he has to be the biggest advantage Louisville has over this Kentucky team. 
No, I completely agree. Um, with Carly, God, he just plays with such a nice pace and everything's steady. But it, then you look at the stats and like, I think he shot like three of 10 or three of 12. Um, but like it, his, his game seemed nice. And then like with Dave and Sam, yeah, they had the turnovers. Um, and, and there's just things that they do that, that drive me crazy. But you see like the flashes. I mean, Sam has the mid range game. That's nice. Dave can get to the basket, but. My God, he's so loose with the ball. And then, like, on the defensive end, I just – I, like, pick out Sam on, on possessions on the defensive end. And, man, I, I just want him to be more physical. There was a play in the second half. I just followed him the entire possession. He just let his guy catch it right in the lane, take one drop step like an easy bucket. You know, these are two guys that we need to step up. Um, and, and just be more, I, I know Carly's the leader of this team, but they need to be more, and I hate using this word, but like they really do. I mean, we need them to be alphas, but it, it's weird. I want them to play better. And then I look at their stats. Sam had 12 rebounds, scored 14 points. I mean, Dave had a, a, a packed stat line, so I can't get on these guys too much, but it just seemed like fool's gold a little bit because of like how careless they were with the ball and just some of the mistakes that I saw them make on the court. It did. And, you know, David Johnson, to his credit, was 7 of 7 from inside the arc, and that was really good to see because, I mean, that's where like, that's where he has to live. Like, he is a, a much, much better player inside the, the arc than he is outside of it. His, his three-point shot, though it's been okay from time to time, it still looks really flat it does not look good you can see why opposing defenses back off him and have help defenders ready when he starts to drive to the basket with Sam I, I mean he was I, I hate to be I'm not going to be as critical of him as I think I am of DJ right now just because Sam looked really really good for about a, a six minute stretch against Seton Hall and then his toe got you know shifted in a 75 degree angle like he is still coming back from that he's been coming back from a lot of injuries when he's playing well when he's playing within himself he looks good. He looks smooth, but he's not the, you know, the dominant McDonald's All-American that I think we all wanted him to be, or, or he's not showing the sign that he can become that player, which is a little bit discouraging. I mean, those two guys last night, you mentioned the good. Having double-doubles for both of them is fantastic, obviously, but 10 turnovers combined between the two of them, and a lot of those just totally enforced. They both had plays where they caught the ball and were standing out of bounds, which uh, not Rock and Jock can't do it. That was... <laughs> A little bit of a eyebrow raiser, and also they they just kind of had like lackadaisical plays when Pitt was making their big comeback, and like that can't happen anymore. And Chris Mack seemed really frustrated by it after the game, and he kind of just hammered home the point: like you guys are sophomores, you're still sort of looking like freshmen. And I don't know how much of that is is based on the fact that those are the two most highly touted guys when it comes to you know NBA prognostications. David Johnson's in all these mock drafts. Sam Williamson is still viewed as a prospect, and the fact of the matter is, if they don't step it up significantly in the second half, it's, it's cool to have the ability. It's cool to show flashes of being able to be something great. If you don't put to start putting together complete 40-minute performances, like those dreams aren't going to be realized. Like, like it's, it's now or never. And the older you get now in, in basket, the bigger your stigma grows. When people see juniors and seniors that are putting up big-time numbers in college, they don't think, oh, man, that guy's going to be a lottery pick. They think, why is he still in college? So... It's, I mean, it's it's on them. And I feel like there's a little bit of a – remember how bad Donovan Mitchell was for the first five, six weeks of his sophomore season? And it was that Indiana game on New Year's Eve where he snapped out of it and became fantastic. 
there's got to be that that wake up moment for both these guys. And again, they were good down the stretch last night. They did enough to win the game. But that type of performance, not just from them, but from everybody who saw the floor, it's not going to be good enough on Saturday, I don't think. I don't think it would have been good enough if Champagne and Tony had played for Pitt. And it's certainly not going to be good enough when you start playing the upper echelon of the ACC after the new year. Yeah. And I mean, if we're, if we want to give Sam, you know, a pass for his foot, I totally get it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to dog on the kid too hard. I, I almost think the difference with Dave and Sam of what I want to see, and this is kind of going back to the Wisconsin game, uh, the Wisconsin game with Carleek out, everyone in the world knew, especially Wisconsin knew, that the one guy that probably was going to beat him that game was David Johnson. I think he put a lot of that on himself, and I, I think he knew they are going to be keyed on him, and I think he just tried to do a, a, a little too much, and and that caused him to kind of get out of his comfort zone, be loose with the ball. Um, and with Sam, it's almost the opposite, especially in that Wisconsin game. The, there was a first-half stretch for eight minutes. I was like, is, is Sam alive? Is he out here? You know, he's he's catching the ball in the wing and, and you know, taking one dribble, handing it off, and, and then you don't hear from, the you know, the rest of the possession. So I, if, I, if I could wish upon something, uh, you know, I, I do like that Dave is aggressive. Um, we want him to be a little more, you know, a little less careless with the ball. And for Sam, I would like to see him just be a little more aggressive on, on both ends of the court. I think that would help us tremendously. I'm totally with you. And maybe that's going to come with more playing time. I mean, you forget this is Sam's first sort of stretch where he's been one of the guys at Louisville. I mean, he was never a starter last, uh, last season. He was playing in Jordan Wara's shadow. That was a big time adjustment for him. You know, this year he's got all these expectations, and bam, injury one week into the season, less than a week into the season, derails things again. So he's still kind of getting his his feet wet, uh, no pun intended. Um, I and, think we, I, know, I think we're saying these things about them too, is because we know that they have it in them. We've seen the flashes, we've seen them take over games, and you know, people might think we're being hard on them. Uh, the only reason we are is just because we we need those two on a nightly basis to be successful, and we've seen it. So we're just hoping, you know, for for you know their sake, for the team's sake, that they can be more consistent. Yeah, I mean, if they don't play like sophomore stars in the second half of this season, we've got no shot to be anything. And I, I don't think like I think Charles Minlin will help when he comes back. I don't think he can be like an all ACC caliber player. I don't think like Josh Nickelberry is going to get healthy. He's going to add a new dynamic. Hopefully he'll be um, a, a good shooter to bring off the bench and add depth in the backcourt. I don't think he's a big time difference maker. If David Johnson and Samuel Williamson are anything less than great, then there's no chance for this team to be great. And I think that's where we are. I mean, you've got three really dynamic players and some young guys who could be good um, moving forward. Dre Davis has, has shown glimpses. J.J. Trainer certainly has shown glimpses. He was really good down the stretch last night. Um, Dre Davis and Jalen and Withers both. I know I just mentioned one of the two. I can't remember which one it was. Um, but those three guys, I think, like they're going to be support guys this year. Maybe one of them has the type of game that Davis had against Western, but they're not going to be – stars and Williamson and Johnson have to be stars and hopefully the change uh, starts pretty soon it'd be great if it was Saturday and speaking of which I think that's the conversation people who are listening to this want to have that's probably where most people's focus is by the time they're getting to this podcast so let's go ahead and just dive into it December 26th Louisville Kentucky KFC Yum Center limited fans the game has moved from noon to one and that's where I want to start this talk because I don't know if how much of the 
the comments from John Calipari's radio show that you saw uh, from Monday night. But my man is panicked. Like, like there is zero doubt that John Calipari right now is he's pulling out all the stops. He's pulling out the lazy bag of tricks. It's the easiest thing to do. And the and I'll go ahead. I'll just read the quotes here. So Calipari during his his call in radio show on Monday. He already kind of looked like a broken man after they lost to North Carolina on Saturday. He looked, he sounded like a broken man on Monday. And this is what he had to say. He reiterated the same thing like 50 times, but here's the, the gist of it. He said, we've got to figure out how to win some of these games. And I think if we win, we'll go on a run and they'll start believing. This is hard. This is what I'm saying to all our fans. You've got to have faith. There are a lot of trolls out there right now. And let me say this. They just moved our game from ESPN2 to ESPN. Why do you think they did that? They're hoping here's loss number six. We've got to ruin ESPN's weekend. Uh, that's got to be our job. We're going to ruin your weekend. <clears throat> you want people to go to the execution. Well, we ain't having it. We've been beating everybody's brains in for 11 years. You don't think all these people are waiting in the wings because they can because they can beat us now? For the first time, we've got a chance. And then he continues. We need our fans more than ever. Please, people out there, many trolls, other programs, why would they not jump on this? We beat them all down for 11 years. Now, all of a sudden, we have a chance to beat Kentucky. Let's go. ESPN, they played right into it. Let's move the game. Let's watch the execution with more people watching. Let's ruin their weekend. I mean, this is the the last-ditch bottom of the barrel. It reminds me of a little bit when we had the Scott Satterfield conversation when Satterfield and U of football staff realized that little fans were really pissed off at them, and they did think, this is the media's fault. Like it's the, easiest, it's the easiest playbook to pull out right now. And John Calipari... He's pulling out the only two aces he has left, which is one, don't be mad at me. Be mad at ESPN. Everybody out there hates us. Kentucky versus the world. They're moving our game an hour and to ESPN because they want the entire nation to watch this. And then two, we always beat Louisville. Like those are his two aces in the hole. And I know you texted me something similar earlier this week. If we're able to win this game, if we're able to get the job done, I know UK fans are going to say, well, congrats. You beat us in our worst year ever. It may be even sweeter than beating some of those great teams because then we get to sit back and watch Rome burn because I think that this would be the start. Like Again, he's pulling out the last two bags and last two tricks in his bag. If this doesn't work, he's got nothing left. They're going to go to a bad SEC. They're not going to be dominant there. I don't think dominant enough to maybe make the NCAA tournament. This would be, in a different way, in a weird way, as sweet a win over Kentucky as we could have possibly had over the last decade. I completely agree. And I mean, when, when you look at it, he's been there 11 years in Lexington. So, you know, I like to rag on UK fans, but I mean, they have heard and seen it all from Cal. And I think right now they're just at the point where they're just tired of his bullshit talking and they want more on the court. And uh, like I told you the other day, I mean, this is probably the most vile I've seen UK fans towards Cal and a win up by the cards on Saturday would really push this into nuclear territory for Kentucky. I, I, w- I would absolutely enjoy seeing the meltdown that um, the fan base would have, you know, with the loss. I, who knows if they would actually wear it on their sleeve or not, but patience is wearing thin. Um, but I mean, then again, you got to look at it from Louisville's psyche, and a loss for us would 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 be devastating for our fan base as well. So, I mean, I I think from a you know uh, ranking standpoint, you know, going into it, like the record standpoint, I don't think it's nearly the biggest game in Louisville history. But from 
um, kind of a fan psyche point, I, I think this is a really large game. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's enormous. And I know Kentucky fans are doing the whole thing where it's like, we suck, we don't care, I might not even watch this game, Louisville sucks too, but it'd be hilarious if we beat them. I mean, they're just as, as invested as they always are. It's We've been on the other side of that thing too. We play the mind games. <laughs> we, we try to tell ourselves and tell them that we don't care as much as we actually do. The game's always going to be significant. And this year, if we beat them, I mean, you're right. Like, There's already been some turning on Calipari. You can see it when he posts stuff on Twitter. You can see it... Um, you can hear it with the questions he gets in, during his call-in radio show uh, when he still takes questions. Like, it's the, – the worm seems like it's turning uh, in Lexington. And if they have – it's fine to have a little bit of a down year. It's fine to even throw in, like, the – you know, they had the New Orleans Noel NIT year where Noel got hurt. And they had an excuse for that, and that team was still okay. But to be historically bad, which is where they are right now. They haven't been 1-5 since 1927, and – you know, to also throw in the fact that they haven't made a Final Four since 2015, and they've been upset in the NCAA tournament a couple of times in games they shouldn't have lost. Like it's all starting to build up at this point, and I think th- their fans are sick of the one and done. And losing their dominance over Louisville, I'm not gonna say it's gonna be the last straw, but it would be a big block to remove out of this fortress that they've built. And I, I, I really, really hope it happens. And that's kind of like, as as worried as I am about the way we've been playing. And Kentucky's been competitive in, in some of their losses. They, they were competitive against North Carolina. They were competitive against Kansas, who's number three in the country. Uh, um, they, they had a chance to beat Notre Dame with that big comeback. My biggest – the only reason that I'm feeling somewhat good about this game is they're a complete disaster. Like usually when they're playing poorly, there's cohesiveness. Calipari's still on message. He's still got that swag. You've got Cameron Fletcher – crying about playing time on national TV in the middle of a game. Um, you've got, uh, who is it, Jackson walking off the floor early. You've got Kyle Tucker out here reporting that Cal is is butting heads with some of the biggest players on the team and that some other guys may announce that they're leaving sometime soon. Like, they seem like a complete clusterfuck right now. Yeah, and you just pray to God that they don't have their, you know, come to Jesus moment right before they play us, but uh, I mean, like you said, they have been competitive in some of those games. I mean, a couple of those games, they let at the half. Um, they just have yet to put together a full, complete game. And, um, you know, there's a couple ways to look at it. I, you can look at it like, I mean, I see stuff on Twitter all the time. The fan base is, okay, which random player is going to go off against us this time, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if I could, and I know, you know, the team, they block all this out. You know, they handle it their own way. Just don't let any random guy go off against you. Just take – you guys are better than them. Take this game from the beginning and just shove it up their ass. I really – I mean, I honestly <laughs> – I'm serious. I, I, I don't want to go into this scared. Just take the bull by the horns and fucking grab it and go. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to approach this like – from a fan's perspective, is like going into this scared because we've lost eight of ten. My eyes have seen that when we play well, we are better than Kentucky. So the team just has to go out there and and play like they're capable of, and I think you know business will take care of itself. I've seen that when we play well, we're better than Kentucky too. I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and say that I'm not terrified. Like I. I it, I've done it too many times. Like every time that I feel good, like last year, I told myself I wasn't going to get overly confident. By the time we actually got to the game, and I went to Rupp Arena last year, shout out to Mark Cool for uh, for letting me tag along. 
I really and truly believe we were going to win. I predicted in the CJ that we were going to win, and we lost. Uh, the Damian Lee year, 2015-16. By the time we got to that game, I really and truly believe we were going to win. I'd seen us be the better team, and we lost. The, the the good thing if you're looking at this series since since Cal took over is we win every four years. We won in 2012. We won in 2016. Now it's our moment. We also win when when things are a little bit weird. Like um, we played the early game back in 2016. We're playing uh, without fans this year, with limited fans this year, in, in a COVID time. Like those two things are kind of what I'm hanging on to right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, from a fan's perspective, you're, you're trying to grasp anything you can just with how the last 10 to 12 years have gone. Um, but I mean, you know, I just look at this is Max third year. He, he was playing with Patino's players the last couple of years, and I'm not making excuses for those losses at all. Um, but you know, at some point it, it, it's time to put up or shut up. And I, I honestly think, you know, we have the team to do it this year. And if you don't do it this year, um, God, I, I would just, it would just, I think, to Chris Mack and and just kind of the pressure it's going to put on the players, you know, to every single year have to go through this. I mean, if you're not going to beat a one in five Kentucky team that's an absolute disarray, um, you know, the mind games are going to be out of control um, in the future going forward. The other thing that is somewhat comforting is when you look at the teams that Louisville plays on an annual basis that fans most want to beat and, and teams that have given us some trouble over the years, Max beaten all of them since he got here. I mean, we, we beat Duke at Cameron last year. Uh, we hammered North Carolina. Um, we beat them at, you know, a good North Carolina team on the road. It was their worst loss at the Dean Dome, uh, at that point in time a couple of years ago. Finally got over the hump against Virginia last year. The one box that we haven't checked yet is Kentucky, and we should have won the game last year. I'll, I'll, I'll die on the hill. We should have we should have won that game. We should have put them away late, and we didn't. And like you said, if you don't do it this year, then it starts to become a thing. Then it's not just they owned Rick Pitino, John Calipari owned Rick Pitino. Now it becomes Chris Mack isn't winning the rivalry game either. He's a, he's a, like zero and three is significantly different than zero and two or one and two. Like, then it becomes it becomes a trend. And as unfair as that may be, given the you know the cards that he was dealt, again, no pun intended. I can't stop making unintentional puns. Um, it's going to start becoming something that more and more people talk about. So um, I'll ask this because you, you sound you sound more confident than I do right now. If I'm if I'm doing this on a scale of one to ten, one being we always lose to Kentucky, we've got no hope. I don't even watch the game. Ten being Josh Ch- Chichester turnaround Rupp Arena dominance. Where are you on the scale of confidence right now? I would put myself, man, I would say around a seven and a half or an eight. Um, and only because I trust our guard play more. Um, it, it's nice having a, a veteran like Carly Jones, you know, when, with the game on the line. Uh, and I'm basing that off. I, I know that David Johnson and Carly Jones, I think, should be able to do what they want to do in this game. Um, it does what the, the front court worries me a little bit. I mean, against Wisconsin, I mean, we looked uber thin and got pushed around pretty good. Um, I know we're going against Oliver Saar, uh, who has obviously we saw what he did at Wake Forest last year. We've seen flashes this year of what he can do at Kentucky. Isaiah Jacks, I mean, he's more of a, I would say defensive threat, not maybe really an offensive threat, but 
I don't know. I, I, I just think we have advantages at more of the positions. Now, a couple guys in Kentucky, they have not lived up to the billing, uh, or billing, especially when you look at a guy like BJ Boston. I'm, I'm waiting for him to break out at any moment and I don't know when it's going to be, but from what I've seen so far, I think we should have an advantage at three or four positions on the court, uh, at least to start the game. Yeah, I think that this is the, the one thing that I feel the most confident about when it comes to Kentucky and who's going to play well for them. I think Olivier Saar is going to have a big game for them. This seems to be the matchup where he thrives. He played well against us last year. Uh, I think he had 16 and, and 8 in that game. And we don't really have like a – he's not the most physical dude in the world. So Dre Davis and Jalen Withers can kind of body up on him a little bit or – um, you know, G Wiz, my guy coming off the bench, who's apparently going to get minutes this year. I um, mean, yeah, we haven't even talked about that. We don't need to talk about that. Um, maybe he could be physical with them, but Saar is a really skilled, skilled big man. And if, if the, it's a tight whistle, I know we haven't even talked about the reps and we've been talking about this for half an hour. I feel like they need to revoke our fan credentials, but if it's a tight whistle and they're not allowing our undersized front court players to be really physical with him, that's going to be an issue, but he played really poorly against North Carolina, which has really good big men, but I think this is going to be a good bounce back game for him. The issue for Louisville is going to be not letting one of those guys at the positions where you should have an advantage go off. Like you can't have the much talked about Devin Askew breakout game or Davion Mintz get the better of Carly Jones in the battle of grad transfers. You can't have BJ Boston can get his, but you got to make sure that he takes 14, 15 shots to get there. Like you can't have somebody have that just, outrageously out of nowhere out of character performance like that has to be much in the blood this year if, if, if you're gonna have a chance to win and I think you also like the way that Louisville let Pitt hang in the game last night is the, the way that they could get beat by a team by Kentucky and that's live ball turnovers Kentucky wants yep, to get yep. out and run if you're going to turn like Louisville wants to play the half court game if you want to slow them down and defend them in the half court where they have been atrocious this year You've got to take care of the basketball. No bad shots from the outside with long rebounds. And David Johnson, Sam Williamson, all those guys, no careless passes, no dribbling the ball off your foot. Like That shit's got to get cleaned up. Two keys for me. Well, really three. You named one with the no live ball turnovers. Um, just because we want to make, like you said, Kentucky play in the half court. Uh, defend without fouling. Um, I, I would, I would much rather settle for them, you know, taking shots versus us putting them on the line. And, uh, again, I don't know how deep we are. So I think defending without fouling is a big deal and rebounding. I mean, I, you know, obviously with size, um, we're going to have to gang rebound. We're going to need guards to rebound, but you know, I just, there's bad shooting teams, and then there's what I've seen from Kentucky so far this year. Yeah. If they hit outside shots, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But not only have they missed outside shots this year, I mean, their shots have looked awful. I mean, they're horrible misses. Um, besides mints, that I, I can't imagine that any UK fan is uber confident in anyone taking an outside shot right now. So, you know, if we can keep them on the perimeter – keep them taking jumpers for the most part. I really like our chances, but obviously that's easier said than done. This certainly has the potential to be the least aesthetically pleasing Louisville-Kentucky game of all time. And we've seen some rough ones, my we've God. Seen rough ones. But if you're a national <laughs> fan, like, just tuning in, like, this has the chance to be, like, you know, ball kicked across the floor. There's an air ball by Boston, picked up. They Dre Davis open for three. He also <laughs> doesn't find the rim. Like, this could be, in my dad's words, a line that I think I heard him say, 
probably 5,000 times over the years. We are some non-shooting sons of bitches. Like, like this, is, this could definitely be the case for both teams on Saturday. But um, you know what? The the non-crowd being there might help that a little bit. I think, I, so mean, I think you're right. I mean, the the crowd, you know, gets these kids charged up, and I think they get the coaches charged up too. So, you know, not saying it's not going to be a you know uh, airtight environment with the players, but. Um, I, I think it'll probably be uh, played a little bit looser, not having the you know packed house environment like they're used to. Our fans are also really bad when it comes to like keeping their negative emotions in check during games. Like trying, not- <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be weird with three thousand of them. Like, oh fuck. Well, I mean, like I mean, every time, like poor Shaquan Aaron would like pull up for a, like, you could hear the groan across, like, uh, and then he like airball, and you're like, well, he's not shooting again. But like you knew that was going to happen, and maybe. You know, if Dre Davis pulls up for a three and he doesn't hear 20,000 people saying no at the same time, maybe it'll help his confidence or, or help whoever's confidence because, yeah, like we, we, we refuse to like play our like emotions close to the vest, especially in games like this. Um, we need to move on to, to Twitter questions because we got about, I mean, so many of these and we'll try to get to as many as possible. Before we get to those, I want to tell, I'll remind you guys, we are sponsored by our friends at Homefield Apparel. Too late to get a Christmas gift from them or really anybody at this point. But if you want to just get a, a New Year's gift, a 2021 present for yourself or for somebody in your life who wants uh, the latest retro card gear, Homefield Apparel has you covered. Check out their wider range of the softest T-shirts and hoodies you can find with retro designs that will make you feel uh, a little nostalgic but also in style. Uh, HomefieldApparel.com is the website. They've got Duncan Cardinal Bird shirts and hoodies. They've got a Scott Satterfield Saturdays t-shirt. Uh, all sorts of cool designs that you can't find anywhere else. And if you check out and use the promo code Card Chronicle, all one word, that's going to save you 20% on that first purchase from Homefield Apparel. Uh, Homefield Apparel is their Twitter account. They'll keep you all up to date on all their new releases, all their new schools. I think they're up to like 75 different schools right now. So if you just want uh, cool random schools or if you're a tertiary fan of a different college, Homefield Apparel has you covered there. They're also on Instagram at Homefield Apparel. And again, use that promo code Card Chronicle, all one word at checkout, and that's going to save you 20%. Big shout out as always to Homefield Apparel. All right, Dan, um, I don't think we have any parting thoughts. We'll, I'm sure we'll have more thoughts on the Kentucky game based on the questions we get here. But are you ready to answer from the, uh, the, the always opinionated listeners on Twitter? Let's go. All right. Um, first question here. There are multiple questions. I'll summar, uh, There are two topics that people really want us to talk about. And the first one, uh, I'll summarize like 15 of the questions. People want to talk about Aiden Negehan. Um Didn't play at all in the pit game. He was one of the most highly touted guys that was signed in that, uh, that, that Super 6 recruiting class. What's going on with him? Um, I guess just your overall take before I share my thoughts on Aiden Nagehan not being able to get on the floor and really seemingly getting passed up by Gabe Wisnitzer on the uh, the the depth chart, if you want to use that term. Yeah, I mean, from a fan perspective, um, it's – worrisome a little bit confusing I feel like we haven't really got I mean I know Max said that he's got to be better um, but I, I you just wonder if, if maybe there's something more there that that we don't know about I have no idea because it seemed at the beginning of the year that his minutes were pretty serviceable um, in the first couple games of the year so I don't really know what has happened then but uh, yeah I would say it's uh, a little bit concerning that we have rarely seen him. I know we didn't see him at all last night, but, uh, you know, the Wisconsin game, we barely saw him. So, yeah, I would say 
pretty concerning overall. Yeah, I was actually a little bit encouraged by the limited minutes we saw from Aiden the first couple of games. I mean, he hit a, a jumper against Western. He looked like he was finishing around the rim better. And even if he was just a guy that, you know, was was getting up and down the floor, altering shots, maybe finishing around the rim, that would have been an element that this team could have really used. The fact that he's not able to get on the floor right now uh, with the front court being so thin and so undersized is is certainly concerning. I think he's just uh, – I think the staff just doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in him right now. And and Gabe Wisnitzer was a guy that Chris Mack praised after the Wisconsin game. Um, looked a little bit out of place against Pitt. He kind of was just like running around getting in the way on, on offense last His night. His foul call was absolute bullshit. Oh, it was terrible. Way. That was like, awful. I was like, unless there's an angle where he stuck his knee out that I couldn't see because obviously the ACC network sucks. But like I was like, he just stood there and the guy tripped over his foot. Oh, it was a terrible call. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Like, I, I, I don't think that you're going to see Aiden Gayon play 10 to 15 minutes against UK. I don't think that they're using him as some sort of secret weapon. I think they just don't have a whole lot of confidence in him right now. Um, the other thing that people really want to talk about, and, and kudos to all you guys who made the back jokes. Did you see the, the controversy that I started a little bit on, on Twitter last night with the, uh, the joke that nobody got? Is this the the whatever the writer of the West Wing? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, I, 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 you got to repeat it. So I, I do this thing every year where the way that I deal with my own anxiety for this game, as well as Kentucky trolls that that send me the you know all this vile shit, is I'll say a couple of days before the game that I'm only responding to Kentucky fans who tweet at me with you know one year it was lyrics from Kanye West, one year it was Three Six Mafia lyrics, one year it was quotes from Frazier, and this year I did. Quotes from Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, which was a uh, Aaron Sorkin NBC show from 06 to 07. Only ran one season. Um, I liked it at the time. It definitely had some very corny Aaron Sorkin lines, so I thought it would be perfect for this type of exercise. And a lot of UK fans kind of get in the spirit of this. They, they enjoy it. They play it up. And so some guy tweeted, I think his name was Matt, right away was like, I want to be first. So I quote tweeted him and use a line from the show where the person talking is high on medication because they just had back surgery. Apparently not many people saw the PSA tweet that I sent before about what I was doing. Cause I started getting blown up with direct messages and friends texting me about like, so sorry about your back. Like, let me know if you need anything. Like I had surgery on th- this disc and, and had this type of surgery. Like I got, I got doctor friends texting me who are like, Hey man, let me know if you need anything. And the whole thing just completely blew up my face. It was, it was a total disaster. At the same time, I refused to back down from the bit. I'm not stopping. I still threw out a couple more lines when UK fans were being dicks last night. Um, it's not going away anytime soon. This is what I do. It's what I'm going to continue to do. And it's it, it's my favorite bit outside of the the one three years ago because another question was what, what's your favorite UK troll of all time? I loved when on the radio I said I started the rumor that John Higgins was was, was refereeing the, uh, the Louisville Kentucky game, and this was like seven months after the the North Carolina game where UK fans had trashed his business and the FBI got involved and there was the lawsuit against KSR, and so on the radio I said. What I'm about to say next is an absolute lie. There's no truth to it. Disregard it if you're a Kentucky fan. This is not true. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm hearing from sources that one of the referees for Saturday's Louisville-Kentucky game is going to be none other than John Higgins, the famous roofer, the famous North Carolina game official. And within minutes, like two of the UK fan blogs had posted stories. Um, like the, the, Some of the KSR people on Twitter were like quoting me and saying, like, 
hearing John Higgins is going to be refereeing the game. Like they all had, they they were good sports about it. They all realized it was a good troll, but that was my favorite UK troll of all time. But last night kind of blew up my face a little bit. Not the not the great, the best way to start Christmas week slash rivalry week. Yeah. Come on, get your head in the game here. We need a better troll job, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I never am seized to be amazed by some of the obscure shows that you've watched that I have fucking no idea what the hell you're talking about. So um, kudos to you uh, and kudos to the people that actually responded with a, a quote from that show. But when I saw it, I immediately just scrolled right on through because I had zero idea what you were referencing. Well, it's, it doesn't matter. It's just it's quotes from the show. That's all. It's all that you have to know. Uh, Nick Connor says, "What starter gets an immediate foul trouble on Saturday?" I mean, it's got to be David Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the first one that pops in my head. It's got to um, be. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, oh God, just just so I don't jinx it, I'll say Dre Davis. I mean, David Johnson. First of all, he already struggles to defend without fouling. Last night, he got away with. And again, this is how warped I am. My immediate thought when David fell for a couple of ball fakes or, or grabbed um, Xavier Johnson when he was trying to drive to the basket a couple times and got away with it, my first thought was he get, he'll get whistled for that on Saturday. Like, you got to cut that shit out because we need him too much. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the only answer. It, Timothy Holt says, who's the difference maker going to be in Saturday's game for either team? Uh, I already said I think it's Olivier Saar for Kentucky. I think he's going to be their best player. Um Man, I, I know I just talked about him, but I feel I really it's hard for me to see us winning this game if David Johnson doesn't play really, really well. I, I think I'll say Carly Jones though. That, that's going to be my answer because I think he has to be the 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 calming force. He has to be the guy who keeps everybody in check, and he's the guy who's the most capable of making stuff happen. I think he gives you a decided advantage at point guard over Davion Mintz. I think, I think he can beat him off the bounce consistently and then make the right decisions once he gains that advantage. So I'll say Carly Jones for us, Olivier Sar for them. I agree with Carly Jones because I think Cal knows what David Johnson is capable of. I, I, I think he knows the skills that he has. He's going to do everything he can to make sure that his guys take that away. I'm not saying that he's going to let Carly beat him, but um, you know, I, I think they're going to be more aware of David Johnson's athleticism and ability to get into the lane. Um, so I'll go Carlig for Louisville, and then for UK, I'll, I'm kind of going outside the box. I'll say Isaiah Jackson only because I feel like we've had so many years where we've been affected by shot blockers by UK, and I could, you know, with with what we are down low, and hopefully we're not like, you know, posting up our, you know, Dre Davis and JJ trainer all game because that's when I know we're in trouble. But uh, I could see him affecting the game from a block shot standpoint. All right, Sean Apprentice says, what are your favorite songs off the new Jack Harlow album? Um, my favorite, I, funny thing you hear is probably my favorite song. I'm going to say this, and maybe this is a little bit sacrilegious, because I, I love Jack. I famously became the first person to play him on the radio when I got him on 93.9 back in the day, which the funny thing about that story that I didn't tell when I put, posted the DMs on Twitter, it led into a Rick Pitino interview. So, like, Rick Pitino sitting there while we talked about this kid from African <laughs> school. Um I really liked the album. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. Like, I thought, I thought it was really good. I think it can be better. I've got high standards for our guy, Jack. Yeah. Um, I like the first song on the track. What is it? Rendezvous, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, what was it? Route 66 and Baxter Avenue. I think those were probably my three favorite. But I texted you when it came out. I said, 
there's some nice songs on here. I don't think anything is going to blow up like it did with, uh, with what's popping, but yeah, we're just two white guys, two white guys talking about rap. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, Chase Bland says best big man of the Patino era at Louisville. I feel like there are only two choices here, Gorgie or Padgett. Although, I mean, Samaro Samuels, I think was better than a lot of people remember just because he wasn't as good as we were hoping, uh, you know, the five-star national player of the year to be. Um, but I feel like it's got to be Gorgie or Padgett, and I got to say Gorgie. Yeah, I mean, Gorgie is Gorgie's top five status for me. I absolutely love his game, love him off the court. I mean, he's he's definitely number one. Um, had a nice, I mean, like you said, those those other, David Padgett would be, Two and then I think a, a a pretty big step down to Samardo and then below that maybe a a Terrence Jennings um and God I'm like blanking on other big guys that we've had I, Mango we had have- a, Mango had a great senior year I do remember that we will always have Marvin Stone against Kentucky game like that's this is true yeah that's how, that's how I'll I'll choose to remember the Marvin Stone era. Um, played that really good. Although you and I did the the summer project where we watched we watched the Marquette game from '03 and t- talked about how awful he was. I don't remember him being that bad. I remember him. Being I was like, oh my god, this was bad. Poor was, poor Marvin Stone. Poor Marvin Stone. Um, President elect James Conner says, "Can the Reds be good without Trevor Bauer?" Dude, it is all. I mean, it is a dumpster fire. What's happening in the front office right now? I mean, pretty much everyone's first like. The fact that Louis Castillo is on the block, obviously we've heard Sonny Gray potentially on the block. We've heard Eugenio Suarez on the block. I mean, I know that we lost money last year, but my God, I mean, are we really just going bare bones and stripping down to like a Pittsburgh Pirates organization here? It's just, it's sad. I mean, can we not do do this during the holidays? Like, if we're going to be... If we're going to be self-loathing, let's at least make it about the rivalry game or about the football team. Not, like, I can't do red stuff on December 23rd right now. Like this is, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about this. Um, plenty of time for that moving forward. The other 11 months of the year, we can wallow in those sorrows. Um, Annette says, what's up with Withers losing his shoes? Can, can't he just tie them tighter? There were like five <laughs> shoes that got lost last night. Like it was it's, it's fucking shoes flying everywhere. Um, yeah, he needs to tie his shoes tighter. I, I, I have a good shoe story. So when I was a junior, <laughs> no, when I was a junior in high school, Will Purdue of Chicago Bulls is our assistant coach, and he said when we made uh, when we got out of districts and made region, we were going to get new shoes for the region tournament. And I mean, our team was so excited. I, I forget what NBA player's shoes he was going to buy us, but I mean, we were absolutely jacked for it. Well, turns out we lost to <laughs> Seneca and Atherton, and it was like the first time in God knows how long that Trinity didn't get out of district. So usually, like the last game of the year, like you go in the locker room and the coaches are like, "Guys, you know, you had a good run. You know, I'm really proud of everyone." Like our coaches were pissed, like absolutely furious, and I'll never forget. Will Purdue goes, "All you guys care about is your fucking shoes," and it literally. <laughs> took everything in my might not to absolutely bust out laughing. I'll, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I mean, the fact that you, and you guys weren't terrible your junior year. Like, you you were, uh, I mean, above 500. You beat some pretty good teams. I mean, 
And you lost to an Atherton team that I think was like four and twenty-one or something oh, like. It was, it was bad. Yeah, like I remember, like the whole game I was like, "Oh, we'll come back," because I I didn't play much junior year, and I was like, "Oh, we'll come back," and I was like, "Oh my god, we're gonna lose." I didn't even go to the game, and like I didn't even know until I got to school the next morning. Like I think it was um front of the program, Eric Whining. He's a, he's a listener. He was like, "Our fucking basketball team lost to Atherton." I like, checked the newspaper. I was like, "Did they really fucking lose?" And then you guys lost to Seneca again the next night, which was. That's how bad it was. You had to lose twice in districts to the only other two teams who weren't good to not make it to region, and you somehow managed to pull that out with a, you know, with a senior in Dan Russ who ended up being like a D two All American. Yeah, that was Mike Zabo's first year. So, needless to say, he's he's come a long way. Once again, theme of the podcast, Mike Zabo shoutouts. You've come a long way, baby. Um, Coach. Let's see. Um. Kendall says, what is your guys' favorite Louisville tournament run besides the championship in 2013? I'll let you answer first. Oh, man. I mean, the 2012 run to the Final Four was magical. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then I love the 1997 run to the Elite Eight um, when we lost to North Carolina. Those two probably stand out for me. Yeah, you took my two, exactly. I was going to mention both those. But 2012, I, I think to me – you sort of forget in hindsight how upset the fan base was with Rick Pitino. Like we had, we felt like we squandered our opportunity being a number one overall seed in 2009 and had back to back first round losses the two years after that. And then that 2012 team was preseason, I think top five and had underachieved pretty much the whole year. And then out of fucking nowhere wins the Big East tournament as the seven seed, um, goes to the final four. Like that run was just so unexpected and so fun. Uh, and then you and I got to go to the, that that yeah. senior day that year where South Florida came in and beat us. I, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I remember thinking, I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is just like an all time low. And to go from that to, like you said, the Big East run and then all the way to, uh, you know, the Final Four, just unprecedented. That was the game where Quacky made his debut. Quacky. I kept wanting to call him Squeaky. That was UAB. My bad. Sorry, Squeaky. Quacky. And then uh, I also slipped on a senior day poster when I was leaving the game and fell. Like It was the worst. It was just overall like the worst night of all time. Yeah. Uh, TJ says, what's your Mount Rushmore of Louisville-Kentucky games? Um, it's like, do we have enough for a Mount Rushmore? I think we do. Um, Samaki triple-double. Samaki triple double. I mean, the you gotta have the dream game on there. Yeah. If, if we're doing Mount Rushmore, you gotta have the dream game on there. I would have the year we beat them when they were number one. Um, Patino. Ninety. Yeah, that was uh ninety five or just no 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 no, 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 no. I'm talking about um the Patino era. Like when we beat them, we beat them by eighteen. His second year, we beat them when they were number one. His third year. That okay. Was in Rupp. Like that would be up there for me, um, and then I'll throw in there the the year that we beat them when they wound up winning the national title and we sucked. Like that's I was gonna that's the one I was gonna include where I think who was it? like Eric Johnson and Marcus Maven. Yeah, had good games. Um, yeah, I remember that one specifically. Like I know people are gonna put the Sosa one on there. That game like should not have been that close. We yeah. almost completely blew the end of that game. I remember the last minute. Like Earl's throwing the ball out of bounds. I was like, what the hell are we doing here, guys? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that shot's memorable. So, um, a lot of people I'm sure will include that one. I'm going to throw in, um, out of nowhere, only because I, I wrote about it for the book. 
we play like back in the day. I mean, obviously Kentucky had their way with us in like the the early era of the rivalry back at the beginning of the 20th century. We actually played them in the tournament uh, and beat them in a game before the Dream Game. Um, when we played in like it was like the game, the most recent game before the Dream Game between the two teams. We beat them in 1959 in the NCAA tournament when they were the number two team in the country and beat them by like 15. And that's when Kentucky started refusing to play us. Like from that point forward. They were like, no, and you know, obviously our rise continued in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and that's like, – I'll throw that way. If we're doing Mount Rushmore, like the most historically important Louisville wins over Kentucky, 1959 NCAA tournament, Dan. We weren't alive. We weren't around. We didn't celebrate it. It's got to be on there. Oh, yeah. I knew about it for sure. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, oh, God. A lot of people just want to know, like, if we have any chance, uh, Joe says, which is the worst Christmas present to give someone socks or underwear? Um, probably underwear. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a picky sock guy, but, um, you know, I like to pick out what, what briefs I'm wearing. The older I get, the more that like I appreciate good socks and underwear. It's so depressing, but I'll say socks just because I remember as a kid, I have a like I have a great aunt who I mean I've seen maybe her maybe once in my life. All I know is that she's very very wealthy and kind of like detached from our family. But for a, a brief period when I was younger, she would send us Christmas presents. And I remember hearing that she's like traveled the entire world. This is like 1991 or something like that. She'd been all over the world and she sent us this big Christmas box. And I was so excited to see what I got. Here's this wealthy person who's been all over the place. I'm gonna get something really cool. And I got kiwi socks from New Zealand. <laughs> it was socks with kiwis on them from New Zealand, and I've, even as a kid, who was like I, I felt like I handled things pretty well. I never got upset when like I didn't get what I wanted. I was like this fucking bitch. Like like, like this is this is not this is not what you should be giving me. You you should have done more here. So, I was the biggest I was the biggest asshole growing up. Like if I opened socks or underwear, like there was no thank you or anything. It was literally just tossed to the side and moved to the next gift. Like well, but there, I had zero appreciation. The karma is hitting you now with your kids doing the same thing back to you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm always like, all right, guys, what do you think? And like, before I even like say anything, they're on like three presents later. <laughs> uh, Jacob Lane from State of Louisville says, Louisville shooting 55% on two-point shots and 34% on three-point shots. Which should they shoot more of? Two-point shots. Like, like, as much as I love having teams that, you know, bomb threes and, and you know, get up and down, that's not the way Chris Mack is building his roster anymore. That's not the strength of this team. And if we're going to win playing his style, we've got to do the bulk of our damage inside the arc. So take more twos. I completely agree. And we, I mean, I, I say our three-headed monster, I, I feel pretty confident. I mean, Carleek, he has an array of moves when he gets in the lane. He's got a nice floater. He's got a nice elbow jumper. We all know about Sam's mid-range game. And I, I, I totally trust Dave's ability to get to the basket. Cards fan 922, and this is going to be one that you have to answer because I'm not to this level, uh, this stage of parenting, but he says, in Frozen 2, are we really to believe that the mom never told the dad she was the one who saved him? So we're not at the, like, Virginia's not at the, she's basically just watching Mickey Mouse and Sesame Street, but she just wants to hear songs. So we're not watching movies yet. I'm assuming you've seen Frozen 2 with your kids. Okay, here's the story. All right. <laughs> I, I had it on. And I may or may not have taken a nap on the couch while that one was on. Frozen one, like, yes, I watched it. Uh, my, my kids had like, my kids honestly, like, they, they did not get into Frozen as much as a lot of the other kids. 
Um, my, my kids watch the weirdest stuff. Like I'm like embarrassed to even admit what they watch on, on this, um, podcast, but, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to cards fan to, to kind of raise that question. I'm, I'm not going to answer it just because I don't really know what he's talking about. Well done. You played that perfectly. Um, <laughs> expertly answered. Uh, Brian Satoris said, if you had one Christmas wish, would it be a blowout win versus Kentucky or to change Chris Mack's philosophy on not pressuring the ball? Um, <laughs> this question could have come from my dad. I mean, my dad texts me every single game about the lack of ball pressure. He, it drives him crazy. He's an old school guy. He, he wants to see the pressure defense. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like we're still too, too soon into the Mac era to, to really criticize too much about his overall philosophy. We're going to see if it works once he gets his guys and, and all that stuff moving forward. So for now, I'm going to say, give me the Kentucky win. We, we, we got to win this game. I agree. And I, I, I love how the, the pack line defense is already getting like, I'd search on Twitter. It's like crack line defense. Like when teams are going on around, like, are we really doing this already? Uh, yeah. The crack line defense. Yeah, I've seen whack line. It's just, yeah, it was, it was always going to happen. There's no question about it. Um, Cody Ayer says, what's the biggest advantage the cards have going into Saturday? Um, I mean, I, I think it's just, they should be the more confident team. Like, like UK should have had its confidence totally rattled by the fact that it's one in five and all these guys that had, you know, all these accolades coming into college have looked like shit. Like if, if you're BJ Boston and you thought you were going to be a lottery pick or, these other freshmen who thought they were going to be lottery pick or Olivier Saar who thought he could, you know, play his way from Wake Forest guy to first round draft pick. Like it's not happening right now. That dream is disappearing a little bit for you. And that's got to have, have rattled you just a little bit. And with Louisville, you know, you're five and one, you're, you're one and oh in the conference. You've got a, a couple of, of good wins over teams that could be in the NCAA tournament. So I'll say confidence level, you know, fuck all the, the, you know, two and 12 against Cal and, however many in a row they've lost and all that stuff. Like you weren't on the, you didn't, you weren't a part of those games. I mean, you have very few players who have any experience whatsoever against Kentucky who are suiting up for you. David Johnson wasn't starting uh, by the time last year um, <clears throat> when we played UK. Samuel Williamson, I don't even, I don't even remember if he played in that game. If he did, I'm sure it was sparingly. So you're like, that, that's about past teams. This is not about you. You should be more confident than they are right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, I'm not going to add too much to what you said. I, I think you hit all the key points. I mean, another thing, I mean, we're, I know it's not a packed house, but we're playing at home. Um, usually, I mean, I, I like playing at home because I feel like when we play at home, um, usually like a freshman will, like one of the freshmen will step up or, uh, or like a, a Jalen, out of Jalen Withers, a JJ trainer and a Dre Davis. Like out of those guys, usually at home, I feel like one to two step up and on the road, I don't know if you can count on that as much. So, uh, I, I'm, I like that this is a home game. I think the good thing with those guys too is they don't seem like they're, like, they're not going to be faced by the rivalry element of, of this all. Like they have, I mean, when you look at the end of the Seton Hall game, the guys who made our biggest plays, trainer makes two free throws and, and a bucket and Jalen Withers has the, the straight line drive and the tough shot when we desperately needed a bucket to get the lead back. Like, those guys stepped up big time. I mean, then Dre Davis, we've seen what he did against Western Kentucky. Like, they may not play well, but it's not going to be because they were intimidated or soft. Um, it's just going to be because they, did, they didn't play well, and sometimes that happens. So I think that's a positive thing for this game, too. On a related note, uh, Hoops Insight says, which front court Cardinal is most likely to have a positive impact on Saturday? Could be rebounding, scoring, or drawing fouls. 
Uh, I'm going to say J.J. Trainer, even though he's probably not going to start. I think his length has the the potential to bug Olivier Saar a little bit. And also his versatility on offense. I, I know Withers and, and Dre Davis are both versatile offensive players as well. But, I mean, Trainer can shoot the three a little bit. He's been pretty good at finishing around the rim. He seems to be a capable enough passer. Um, I can see him having a, a really good game on Saturday. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, Absolutely loved. I'd say out of all three, JJ Trainer's probably been the most consistent one. I know Dre Davis got off to the hot start. Jalen's had a couple nice games, but I think Trainer consistently has has given us what we needed most nights. Um, but I'm gonna say Dre Davis just because I, I think he's a little more versatile, um, and I'm really gonna watch him on the defensive end in this game. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be key for him to to you know be able to switch out on on some of these big guys and to be able to stop some of their guards from penetrating. So I'm going to go with Dre Davis this game. All right, Hank Tubbs says, would you trade the snow globe for a win over Kentucky? Absolutely. It's snow globe's gone if we win this game on Saturday. I would I would uh, take the January success for one win over UK at this point. If, no yeah, question. if you said no, I would probably kick your ass. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I would, uh, no doubt. Jake says, has, has there ever been a game where you've been five and one and you play a team that's one and five where you've been less confident? I mean, can't think of any off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't really, like you said, remember records off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be a doozy. All right. Um, we can go, we can go ahead and wrap this up. We've, we've talked too much. If we didn't get to your question, so sorry, but we've talked for over an hour. Now. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the pod, please do so. We got uh, five new ratings this week, but no new reviews. If you want to leave a review, we'll probably read it on the pod uh, unless it says something just horribly explicit. But if it's moderately explicit, we'll definitely read it. Um, so big thanks to all you guys who listen uh, and subscribe and rate and review. Do you have any parting thoughts about Christmas, about the game, about anything, Dan? Um, with Christmas, if, if I could give any advice to the fan base, Try not to think about this game on Christmas just because, you know, you're going to be filled with anxiety. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy the time with your family. Um, you know, enjoy the, the gifts, whatever you guys do. Uh, I certainly am. And then I'm going to wake, I'm going to wake up very early on Saturday and I will be drinking immediately. That's kind of where I'm at. The, the, the switch flip from Christmas mode to rivalry mode is always hilarious to me because it's like, it's like 11 o'clock on Christmas night, whether we're playing, if we're playing like the 26th or the 27th, and you just, you kind of feel like the Hulk, you're like, Aah! like, it's just like, get these lights out of here, like, I'm just, re- like, the hate just consumes me, and then I'm ready to go, and it's that weird combination of just fear, and anxiety, and excitement, and just disdain, and all those emotions wrapped up into one, it just, it happens so quickly, but I'm with and then, you. And then you'll have Dick Vitale just shouting right in your face. And that'll just build it up even more. I can't take that. Like, I, if we're up by a billion and Vital starts just talking bullshit about Cal and, you know, telling stories about high school basketball, then I'll think it's hilarious. But if we're down by like four and starts, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to turn the TV off. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But, um, I, good advice from you, Dan. No Dan in the dumps today. You're Dan in the, uh, in the, in the jollies. You're happy. You're happy, Dan. It's Christmas, Dan. It's holiday, Dan. Dancing, Dan. Yep. We're, we're here. Dance and dance. Hopefully everybody enjoys Christmas, enjoys your holiday, and then enjoys the game. Uh, we won't have another pod until after the UK game. Hopefully the next time we talk to you, it's celebratory. And until we hear from you guys again, go Louisville, beat Kentucky. Come on, baby. Go Cards.